This is AgriPulse Open Mic, sponsored by NCIS, National Crop Insurance. I'm farm broadcaster Jeff Nally. With increasing commodity prices, higher price volatility, and rising input costs, America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting 256 million acres of farmland and 350 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Some commodities have seen a period of escalating prices over the past several months. Others haven't. Mark Lang is president and CEO of the National Cotton Council. He says cotton producers have and are seeing some real challenges. Well, uh, Jeff, in uh, in late 2010, cotton prices started rising and remained very strong through 11 and, and a good part of 2012, uh, and then began to uh, fall uh, rather substantially. And so there was a there were two crop years in there where cotton producers in general were looking at prices that were considerably above average, and now we're back into a very average period. And in fact, I, the general outlook now is that those producers, especially those in the uh, down the Mississippi River from uh, Arkansas down through Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee, will probably be uh, shifting away from cotton, not entirely, but uh, making a shift, uh, reducing their cotton acres and increasing their grain and oilseed plantings in uh, 2013. How has cost of production been affected for the cotton producer? I mean, everything has gone up. Is it appreciably more in your in your business? Yes, we're seeing the same things that affect uh, the grain and oilseed producers uh, fertilizer prices, of course, went up several years ago and have remained high. Uh, diesel, of course, is a major cost. Uh, labor is getting uh, ever more expensive. Uh, seed and fertilizer remains, uh, uh, you know, probably the big the big costs. So, what our folks and cash rents have gone up. So, uh, we're seeing a rather substantial increase over the last three years, especially in cost of production, and that's putting a further pinch on uh, the profitability for a cotton grower. We've used all that as background, Mark, to get to this point. Uh, your organization, lots of other commodity organizations working hard over the previous, gosh, I don't know, 20 months or so trying to get a farm bill. Uh, we were at the altar and stood up again, not done, an extension, so to speak. Uh, the extension might work for some. Uh, I'm not sure that it works for everyone. What sort of a situation has this extension put the cotton industry, not only domestically as it pertains to having a, an adequate safety net, but what about the WTO in the case that you guys are tied up with in the Brazilians? How's this a one-two punch for you? Well, Jeff, this uh, this extension has certainly uh, added a, a degree of difficulty in dealing with uh, uh, the international issue that cotton has. Um, it started about 10 years ago, but really was um, sort of at its end point in 2009 with a final finding by WTO uh, group that said that uh, the U.S. cotton was not meeting its international obligations with the program design that was present for the uh, U.S. cotton program. Um, 
Brazil withheld retaliating, that it was granted rights to retaliate against both uh, the GSM Export Credit Guarantee Program in its entirety, not just for cotton, and then specific the cotton program, and said it would withhold retaliation while the U.S. was looking at uh, new legislation for a farm program safety net as well as for export credit guarantees. And it was anticipated, of course, that by this time we would have new legislation. So here we are without new legislation and a Brazil that's becoming, I think, increasingly anxious about the intention of the U.S. to uh, find new legislation for Farm Bill. So it, uh, it's got us nervous. So when we look at the situation right now, I mean, obviously the Brazilians are familiar with controversy in government. Lord knows that seems to be an international thing, but the trouble is they've won a case and and they're expecting some form of retribution, and I'm not sure that they're seeing it as quickly as they want. Uh, How would the Stacks program, how would some of the proposals in either the House or the Senate in the 112th Congress, how would that have helped to alleviate the situation, and how are you stuck now? Well, Jeff, the... um the stacks program, as we proposed it initially, um, was really not acceptable to the Brazilians, and they made that very clear from the outset. Eventually, the stacks program that was in the Senate package was modified from what we thought. Uh, it reduced the range of coverage for a revenue program and it specifically eliminated a, a reference or a, a minimum price in that revenue program. And I believe um, that was getting closer to something uh, that Brazil believes is uh, desirable legislation. Uh, The House package still has a reference price in it, and Brazil has made it uh, abundantly clear to us and I think to the uh, U.S. government that a reference or target price program for U.S. cotton is absolutely unacceptable to them. So where we are now, of course, is uh, back to the drawing board for all programs, though I think most people believe the Senate will largely pick up exactly where it left off. Um, And so that Senate package of stacks, uh, I think, probably goes a, a great deal, takes huge steps towards addressing some of Brazil's concerns. Um... The problem I see is I have no idea, and <laughs> we're not getting any good signals as to when Congress may actually pick up a farm bill debate again. Um, it's very clear that for the next uh, 45 to 60 days, they're going to be very, very focused on uh, addressing a, a debt ceiling issue, on sequestration and then eventually uh, resolving the uh, continuing resolution that currently funds government, but it only funds it through March 27th. And uh, all three of those things are huge hurdles for Congress to resolve and offer great opportunities for mischief, of course, because agriculture is always one of the things that people are, uh, we found, unfortunately, willing to uh, make cuts on uh, in order to meet uh, spending targets or deficit reduction goals. So uh, we're very concerned about where uh, agriculture's exposure as Congress uh, deals with these next three big hurdles. 
Mark, I'm, I'm curious now with Mr. Cochran, the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee, do you think that Senate Farm Bill will look exactly in the 113th as the 112th did? Did you get a better advocate? Well, Senator Cochran has always been a strong advocate for agriculture in general. Of course, he's a past chairman of the Senate Ag Committee. Um, and I think what, what my expectation is would be that uh, some of the concerns that uh, especially rice and peanuts had with regard to the Senate package because their concerns are that uh, they don't have the same price discovery mechanisms that uh, the grain and oilseed uh, commodities do. You know, there isn't a futures market for peanuts. Uh, so price discovery and then creating a good revenue product is a more difficult process for them. They're very concerned about that, and I think maybe we'll be looking at uh, a Senate who looks at some alternatives for southern crops or maybe talks about uh, the possibility of uh, choice. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, comes about, but I do believe uh, perhaps some of their concerns about uh, how to have a revenue program that works under the institutional arrangements present in uh, peanuts and rice uh, will be addressed. I'm curious of this. If we talk to some of the other Midwestern commodity groups, a lot of them might suggest just give us a good crop insurance program and we'll be okay. That might be the exception for the wheat girl in the plains, but for the most part, I think corn and soy, make sure we've got good crop insurance and we can survive. Does crop insurance work for cotton? And is if it doesn't, is there a way to craft a policy that would make it work better for you? Well, Jeff, it's really interesting. Um, if you look at uh, cotton in its entirety, uh, about I think about 80% of the acres have some sort of buy-up coverage on them. But there are real regional differences. And um, I think one of the difficulties for uh, cotton with crop insurance is that in the Mid-South and parts of the Southeast, many of the growers have uh, invested heavily in irrigation and they don't see the kind of yield variability that dryland growers see. And so while in uh, Texas and some other parts of the belt, even in parts of the southeast that uh, have some droughty soils, there can be some fairly high variability year to year in yields. Um, that's less so in some other regions. And so the, one of the real problems that cotton has is simply finding some policy that can really address um, everyone in our industry equitably. So insurance works, but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone to the same degree. And um, you know, I I know the grain and all seed folks in the in the Midwest tend to be very comfortable with crop insurance um, because of their overall experience and, and some of the new re-rating that has taken place has made insurance perhaps even even more attractive uh, risk management tool for them. But at the same time, uh, grains and all seeds, you know, substantially benefit from uh, something that uh, cotton and some of the rest of the crops don't have, which of course is you know, an, an ethanol mandate. And so as long as you have an ethanol mandate, you're less concerned about what's going to happen to price, and you're a little more concerned about what's going to happen to yield. So that takes some of the, um, 
some of that price concern off and you can focus on yield a little bit more. Well, whether it's uh, a discussion in Washington over revising the tax code or if it's about revising the uh, nutrition programs that we have or specifically inside the Title I of the Farm Bill or crop insurance, it seems to me that before the Congress, there is a lot of meticulous work that needs to be done to be accurate. And this doesn't appear to be a Congress that has any time for any sort of compromise, much less going into the fine parts of a farm bill or other areas to resolve matters quickly. Um, even hoping that we could get a farm bill written in general order to run through committees as opposed to being crafted in the back room by leadership and take it or leave it when it comes to the floor. I, I don't see this being an easy task to overcome. Do you, Mark? Jeff, I, I agree entirely with you. I mean, while we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, some some folks are a lot more comfortable with revenue programs than others, uh, even um, even some one commodity, let's just take soybeans, for example. Soybeans is relatively comfortable with most types of revenue programs, but not all. Um, and you're exactly right. As you begin to do make what appears to be minor modifications to some calculations about moving averages, whether it's three-year and five-year for yields and prices, is it a farm-based or is it a county-based program, all those things really do matter in the end, and they matter significantly. For Say, for one crop, it's looking at prices. For another crop, they're more concerned about yields. There's a lot of work yet to be done to find consensus. We haven't found it uh, at all for where all the commodities come together and can rally around um, a revenue or a price program. I finish. Uh, we'll finish up here, Mark. I had a conversation a couple of days ago with uh, Colin Peterson, the ranking member on the House Ag Committee, and he suggested that this stalemate in Washington could bring another extension of the Farm Bill. With the scenario that you have of profit and loss of production in the South and the pending WTO case with Brazil, can you afford to have another extension or even the one you have now? Well, not really. Uh, certainly not another one. The one we have now makes me uh, very uneasy. Uh, if there were to be another one, I frankly would expect Brazil to uh, to uh, not not accept that. Uh, the other thing I see out there is, uh, for all of agriculture, the looming difficulty is this extension made no cuts. We were looking at a five-year farm bill that, depending upon the House or the Senate, you were in the high 20s to low $30 billion cuts over a 10-year period. If this extension made no cuts, and Congress wants to talk about writing a four-year bill uh, sometime in the spring of 2013 or summer, does that four-year bill have to absorb five years of cuts since there were no cuts made in this extension? I'm, you know, I don't know, but that really concerns me because I think if there's another extension, we're really backloading where we have to make cuts and the ability to uh, have a really sound uh, safety net for all of agriculture, uh, I think is truly brought into question. We all know there are cuts coming, and postponing them, I don't think, makes things better off. This has been AgriPulse Open Mic. Brought to you by NCIS, National Crop Insurance. I'm Jeff Downley.